Hey everyone, this is Lars Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and in this week's episode, we talk about your 18 and 43 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about how the Pistons can maximize Hamadou Diallo. We analyze how many wins the Pistons should be able to get the rest of the season. Spoiler, it's not that many, which should make everyone happy. And then we talk about Jeremy Grant's comments about doing something big next year. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Voice. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Hey, Laz. I'm doing pretty good, man. We're down to the home stretch of what has been a really, really interesting season. How are you doing? I'm doing good. A lot of stuff has happened this season. Not all of it was meaningful but yeah we are nearing the end of it and so i wanted to actually start where we normally end our podcast and that's with the schedule um because there's only 11 games left the pistons play the hawks on monday they play the mavericks on thursday they go to charlotte on saturday so that's one of two away games they have left this season then they play the magic uh next week monday the hornets on that tuesday so that's a back-to-back the grizzlies on thursday They go to Philadelphia on that Saturday, and then they play the Bulls on that Sunday, so that's another back-to-back. Then they play the Timberwolves on the 11th, the Nuggets on the 14th, and the Heat on the 16th, and that's the end of the season. So that's 11 games. That's nine home games. That's two more back-to-backs. They're currently at 18 wins. Ben, there's no way the Pistons win more than like 22 games, right? You know, Les, you've brought this up a handful of times this season, and I've appreciated this. You know, you've talked about them being the best, worst team kind of in the league this season. And if you look at something like, you know, efficiency differential, like at basketball reference, for example, they've got the Pistons projection of wins at 23 currently, right? Not end of season wins, but currently based on efficiency differential. So we've actually kind of gotten a little bit lucky uh, and I'm kind of hoping we continue to get lucky, right? Because like the quality of the team might be a little bit better than the record. But look, having said that, I do think there's a fortuitous part of the schedule here. Um, Most of the teams that we're playing are still trying to win games. When you look at the Magic, the T-Wolves, they're not trying to win. The Bulls, not necessarily trying to win. Uh, The the T-Wolves are still still trying. Well, yeah, but futility, right? (laughs) Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if they're... They can try. Maybe they will. We'll see. But anyway, like, the point being, most of the teams are trying to win, right? So two, three of those teams are maybe not trying to win. So that's good, right? That that puts us at, like, if they were to win all three of those, that puts us at 21, 
which is under your 22 win threshold. So knock on wood, you know, things kind of play out that way. Yeah. The, the Pistons have won 18 of 61 games so far this season. That is like roughly 30%. And it's like 29 and change according to Google. So if they only win, you know, roughly 30% of their next 11 games, that's three wins, give or take. That's 21 wins. Like, And then that that leads you to a scenario in which the Pistons probably hold on to the third worst lottery odds. Now, I, I brought up Minnesota a little bit. Um, Minnesota did just beat Utah. Uh, Utah is the best team by record in the Western Conference right now. Um, and that game was close, but they looked like down the stretch they were actually trying to win that game. Uh, that leaves Minnesota now with 17 wins. Don't know how many losses they have. And so I, I would not be surprised if they, because they are continuing to keep trying to win, that I would not be surprised if they end up with a better end of season record than the Pistons. But on the other hand, you've got, you know, pressure from some of these other teams from above, right? Orlando uh, really struggled as of late. You know, Oklahoma City, we, Oklahoma City might not win another game this year. And that looks entirely purposeful. Mm-hmm. And so I think if just looking at the schedule, Pistons should win, you know, maybe that Orlando game probably should try and lose that Timberwolf game. Maybe they win one of these games against the Hornets who are still kind of banged up. But yeah, like I I don't see a world in which this team is like, you know, gonna win twenty five games at the end of the season or something insane. And and to bring up your point about efficiency differential, right? I was thinking about just, you know, net rating. Pistons have something like the twenty third best net rating in the league right now. And that's you know, that would be uh normally aligned with a team winning, you know, something like thirty games at the in a normal 82 game season, they're going to fall far, far below that. And as we saw this week, right they're, they're going to struggle in, uh, in close games, regardless, even, even if uh, they decide to play their kids or not. And so like, I am not worried. I'm officially like not worried. The, the Cleveland game was the last like very winnable game. I think they play in like a couple of weeks. So everyone just like kind of chill about that. I know it's a big deal. We can just, we can kind of relax and let that one go. Um, next thing I want to talk about, Ben, was Hamadou Diallo. Hamadou Diallo has kind of been struggling. He came on really strong uh, to start his Pistons career, and then uh, he's been kind of wavering over the last couple of games. Since uh, in his last 11 games, he's only averaging 6.5 points, 4 rebounds, and 1 assist. But he's also shooting you know, under 35% from the floor, 35% from 3, and a mere 58% from the line. Uh, you know, I... I knew you knew he wasn't going to try. He wasn't going to shoot fifty percent from three forever. But you know, under forty percent from the floor is also not great. The rim pressure has not quite been there. You know, I'm, I'm they traded for him, Ben. So like, I'm assuming he's going to be here in the long term. So the, the question isn't like you know what do we do with Amadou Diallo? Like, do we let him go? Like they 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 plan on keeping him. So the question for me is, how do we get more? How do we maximize Amadou Diallo? Yeah. Great question. Moving into the off season, you know, I think probably being banged up a little bit has hurt, right? Like, um, you know, he was injured after the acquisition, and I don't know if he's been a hundred percent, you know, totally and completely since he's been with Detroit. Um, but look, I think 
there's obviously some really interesting skills and athleticism that we've all seen on display at various points throughout the season. And I think, you know, I would like to see him shoot the ball well enough to at least be respectable. I'd like to see him command enough of the defense's attention on his, you know, even if it's just the sort of standstill spot up shooting um, that allows him to take advantage of what he's good at, which is getting to the rim and finishing. Um, you know, I also think one of the things we've been hammering on for years is how slow the Pistons play. Mm-hmm. I think a scheme designed to run a bit more ought to be advantageous to him. Um, but really, I mean, I think he needs, he's just got to become a better shooter uh, if he's going to be the kind of player he wants to be. If, if he doesn't become a better shooter, then, you know, he, he's a relatively easy cover. Um, and look, I think that you brought up his free throw shooting of late. His free throw shooting is what makes me a little bit nervous because a lot of times free throw shooting can be a predictor of whether or not someone's got some unrealized potential as a shooter. So far, his percentages don't really suggest that. So, you know, like I'm excited about having a player of his athletic caliber on the roster. It's fun to watch. Like when he's going to the rim or out on the break, it you never know what's going to happen. And that's a blast. But at the same time, like I hope we don't overcommit to a guy with, to me, has a pretty big hole in his game. So, um, you know, what's he going to cost? Is he going to be worth it? I think are completely fair questions, uh, given where he's at in his offensive development. Yeah, I think I think he has not been helped by some of the lineups he's played with. Right, um, you know, he is not himself a spacing threat, as we've talked about, and that's something that we hope he resolves. But that also means that um, we want you want him surrounded by other guys who can space the floor. So there are, you know, lanes for him to drive through. And that hasn't always been the case, right? He's been out there with like Tyler Cook and Julio Okafor and, uh, you know, Saban Lee sometimes. And it's like, okay, well, n- nobody on this lineup can shoot. So this is going to be bad for everybody. And that's been the case. Um, but like, again, that seems to be a, a feature, not a bug of Troy Weaver roster construction is to prioritize athleticism um and you know wingspan and physical gifts over you know skill level and shooting and and so i think that like we're gonna have to turn that dial a little bit in the opposite direction to get more out of some of the athletes we have on the roster and that includes uh hamadou now as as far as like what he's going to cost and is he going to be worth it i think the his play probably actually helps them in in the cost department like we, you know, we, well, hey, hey, homie, we traded for you. We really think you're, you're, you know, part of this team, but like, you, we still want you to, you know, develop and come in off the bench. And so maybe we're not thinking like $11 million a year anymore. Maybe we're thinking like $8 million a year now. And so that's, that's one way in which that probably helps the team in the long term. And, you know, $8 million is still not bad for a dude that young for uh, a shortish term contract and and during which he's hopefully going to get better and be able to get back out on the open market um, and, and make more money that way. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how this, this plays out at the end of the year. Like if you had told me, if you had told me like after they traded for Hamadou Diallo, that like Frank Jackson would play better than him <laughs> for the bulk of both of their Pistons tenure. And then you ask me like, which one of those guys are going to get paid more? It's like, oh yeah, Hami for sure. But like, you know, Frank Jackson's been better uh, on both ends for the Pistons this season, and that doesn't bode well for when you know you're trying to get a 
a bag and restricted free agency. Well, you know, we've talked, you just mentioned his youth. He's, he's not even one full year older than Sadiq Bay, right? So Sadiq's a rookie just came out later. He's still super young, right? I mean, he's, he's a good three years away from what you'd expect a guy to sort of reach their prime. And look, we've been seeing guys, especially recently as the game has really drifted toward the perimeter and the three point shot. Like we've seen guys become shooters in their late twenties, early thirties. Right. So there's certainly enough time for this part of his game to come to fruition. It's just, you know, at this point when you do have to pay him or let him go, it's, you just have to take the calculated risk. And look, if it's a three year deal, like the Pistons are that far away at least anyways. So, um, guys like him, you can't coach athleticism, right? That's the old saying. You can hopefully coach up the jumper a little bit. Okay, Ben. For the tank, I have an over-under for you on combined Davidas Servitas minutes against the Timberwolves and Magic. So over-under 15 and a half minutes against those two teams. What do you got? <laughs> my heart says over, but my head says he's just so bad. And, uh, you know, Casey just doesn't like to play guys who are bad. So the heart says over, the head says under. But I would be thrilled with the over because losing those two games would be huge. I I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually over. I'm going to go over just to disagree with you because, <laughs> no, we, we've seen that they will pull Davidas out when they feel like they really need to lose a game. We've seen him in both of the Oklahoma City games, right? Um, and both of those games were games in which the uh, the all of the veterans, like all of the veterans, rested, um, and that leaves holes on on the wing, and that opens up minutes for Davidis. And I think he's a guy. I think they he's still a guy with potential, right? The shot still looks good coming out of his hands, even if it's not going in. Um, and so there's there's reason to try and make this happen over the course of like the last, you know. 11 games of the season, um, you know, th- reasons for professional and personal development and on-court development for him and losing reasons in the standings. And so I, I, I would not be surprised if we saw, you know, 10 minutes against the wolves and 10 minutes against the magic for, for Davidas, um, you know, five minutes a half. That's not that much. It's possible. That's Just, true. Five minutes a half. That's doable. Keep, keep an eye out for that. Uh, what was the next? Oh, I, I didn't know how to shoehorn this in, but I did want to talk about it. Saban Lee finally caught his body. <laughs> yes, he finally he got a guy. He got Willie Cauley-Stein against the Mavericks, which might be the only thing about that Mavericks game I actually remember for uh, you know the next 48 hours. Um, <laughs> I got I got to think at some point that they uh, let Saban play too, right? We, we've seen a lot of Corey Joseph. Um, I got to think at some point we're going to go back to the, the Killian Hayes, Saban Lee, you know, point guard rotation, then that will also enable the tank full-time, Ben. Yeah, I think so. I'd be totally cool with like a 28-20 split, right? Killing gets 28 to 30. Saban gets the rest on those nights where Killian is is playing and not resting. I think we've done enough for Corey Joseph. We let him yeah. dribble and shoot a whole lot more than he's ever done in his career. And uh, whatever payday he's getting next, assuming we, you know, we buy him out or, or trade him and he gets bought out, whatever. I think we've been fair to him, and it's time to move on. Let let's see the kids at the point guard position. And, and I don't think he can be mad about this, right? Like he's he's gotten the opportunity to show what he's got to offer at the NBA level. His next team can take a look at the Pistons footage and be like, "Wow, this guy's actually pretty crafty in the pick and roll and can do some things." 
um, and is an overrated defender by reputation, but <laughs> that's that's fine. But yeah, it's it you know with as few games as we have left in the season, it's just it really is just time to turn it over to the kids. Um, and I would like to see that sooner rather than later. Um, the next thing I want to talk about, Ben, was something interesting. Actually, we got from from Jeremy Grant after the Pacers game in the post game uh, press conference. Um, Omari Sankofa asked Jeremy Grant if the season felt similar to uh, his experience with the Process Sixers, um, which is obviously like where Jeremy Grant started his career. And Jeremy said no. He said, quote, it's a lot different. It's not a rebuild, as Troy always says. It's not three or four years into the future. We're looking forward to doing something big next year, end quote. So, Ben, does does this feel like a team that's going to do big things next year? No, <laughs> no, not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I respect, I respect players for being optimistic. I'm never going to criticize a guy like Jeremy Grant, you know, especially the growth he's seen in his own game over the course of this season. You know, he's seen it in some of the youngins around him. You know, it's great to be confident and optimistic, but um, look, I just, I don't think they're in a, even in the best case sort of scenario positioned well to make a significant leap between now and next season, you think about what would it take for a 300 win percentage team to do something big, right? Like threaten 500 or maybe fight for the eighth seed. Like that just doesn't happen overnight, right? Like you need a franchise altering sort of something to happen. You need, you know, LeBron James in his second season, right? Like that's kind of what you need. Um, So to me, like the roster, the salary profile, the age of the team, all of that is set up for sort of a longer term project. Um, you know, you think of free agency, the draft trades, internal development, right? Those are the ways you get better. I don't think any of those things on their own, even if the Pistons win the lottery, you know, is enough to make a really huge leap uh, just in one offseason. Even if all of them go really, really well, uh, there's just some real clear limitations, I think. Uh, that prevent that from happening. They don't have a ton of big trade assets. Ironically, you know, Jeremy's probably the biggest trade asset they have, and they're probably not looking to trade him. Um, we've seen some of the young kids make some strides in season, which is great. You don't often see rookies make big leaps from the start to the end of the season, but we've seen that, Sadiq and Isaiah Stewart in particular. But, you know, even if you throw in Seku and, and Killian Hayes and Saban Lee in with those young guys, um, even something like a 10 win sort of improvement would be, in my opinion, pretty dramatic. And I think it's going to take a lot of work to even get there. And that would make them, what, in an 82-game season, what, like a a 30-ish win team, maybe, pushing 30 wins? Um, Yeah, so I I just don't see it. I think this is a longer-term three- to four- to five-year project is when they're starting to become, like, competitive for that playoff spot and – you know, if they do win the lottery and everyone gets a whole lot better on a quicker timeline than they're thinking, great. Um, but I still think it's more long term than that. Yeah, I I agree with you in principle, but I think the the addition of the play in tournament makes things uh, a little bit dicier. Uh, as far as like big things next year could go. So right now, I'm staring at the standings. The Wizards are seven games under 500 and the last team in the play-in tournament. The Pacers are three games under 500, even after beating the Pistons, and are the second-to-last team 
in the play-in tournament. And so what uh, seven games under 500 is what, like a 30, it's like a 36, 35 win team. If the Pistons got the number one pick, I could see them being a 35 win team, right? And I don't know if that's good enough to make the play-in tournament next season. I don't know who, you know, I don't know what teams are going to do this offseason. I don't know uh, what kind of uh, alterations to the conference are going to be made. But if you told me this team added Cade Cunningham and, uh, you know, regressed to the norm as far as, you know, their effective win percentage, like we were talking about earlier um, in the clutch, they were just a better team with the rookies having more experience uh, or the rookies no longer being rookies in, in that case, I guess. Um, it would, I could see it happening. Is it what I, is it what I want? Not, not particularly, right? I think winning the lottery is a desirable part of that equation, but I do think that it's probably better if the Pistons team is also not particularly great next year and is able to acquire like an, another draft pick. And then you go into the 2022, 2023 season with, you know, this year's crop of rookies in year three, you know, Cade Cunningham in year two, uh, Jeremy Grant in a, in a contract year. I think that is the recipe for a Pistons team that's going to compete um, for a solid playoff spot and not just like the bottom of the play in tournament. Um, you know, with, with that said though, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if like the mood in, uh, in among the team and like in the front office is that, you know, this thing can be turned around relatively quickly is because, you know, all the rookies, we we've seen them be more effective than we thought they were going to be initially, um, for a good chunk of this rookie year, right? You, you add a lot of, uh, you know, you project a lot of uh, progression out of those guys coming into next season and you can get better organically without having to make, you know, a big free agent splash, especially considering, you know, you have $28 million worth of dead money on your cap next season. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, it makes, it makes some sense to think that you could turn this around quickly. I just, don't I hope it doesn't happen for selfish reasons. Yeah, I think uh, the other thing yeah, I'll right. say that makes it challenging is if you look at look at the guys who are for sure under contract going into next season, like you, you still have to round out that roster with guys who aren't huge negatives. Um, yeah. And I don't know, maybe maybe there's enough to do that, but yeah, I'm I'm with you in that I think part of the problem too would be if if they get better than they expected too quickly, maybe you rush prematurely to try to round out your roster with productive players. You know what I mean? Like, so you get committed to guys who are aging veterans who don't necessarily fit your original timeline. And then you end up stumbling a little bit and you kind of get yourself caught in the the mediocrity treadmill. I don't want that to happen either. Yeah. I I think the thing that helps in that regard is again, like the, the lack of cap space, right? They, they don't have the money to overpay Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva to try and keep this thing going. Right. Once they, once they, you know, once I assume they retain Hamadou Diallo on some sort of contract, uh, retain Sabin Lee and Frank Jackson on some sort of long-term contracts, um, and then sign, you know, another backup point guard or something or, or, 
cut Corey Joseph or keep Corey Joseph or whatever, they're they're not going to have that much room to to make any other drastic additions. That doesn't that doesn't again that doesn't really come until 2022 2023 when uh, the big Blake uh, dead cap hit. It gets off the books and um, no one else, I think. I think like even it'd be, it'd be like Jeremy Mason, the rookies, um, the draft picks and like that's it and for that time. And so you you have a lot of cap space in that offseason. But again, that's that's, you know, a full season from now is what we'd be thinking about. So that, that's not that's not exactly a, a quick timeline. And so I'm I'm not so worried about uh, this upcoming offseason. It's it's. If you're worried about you know overspending on free agents to accelerate the timeline, it's it's next offseason where I would be more concerned about that. All right, Ben. Uh, short episode, I guess. It's it's been a long season, and uh, long seasons deserve a short episode. We did the schedule first, so I don't know how to close this episode. Oh wait, no, we didn't do what, what's left. Oh, we didn't do the thing. We didn't do the uh oh my gosh this is my fault. <laughs> we've only got like 3 see I'm I'm trying to end the podcast early and we've only got like 3 podcasts left before the regular season is over with anyway. Last is you're tanking man. We're tanking. I, ev- everyone's tanking. <laughs> oh my goodness. So Ben, what what are you going to miss about this Pistons team when they're gone? Laz, I had to think about this hard. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I feel like it's been sort of an unspoken rule this season on the pod that we're it's it's been a rough season, right? Like watching yeah. the games has been tough, and I feel like we've used this time for ourselves as much as anything else, just to have some fun with the season, right? So, you know, this season I'm not going to particularly miss it, it. There's a lot of what are hopefully going to be growing pains, but I will say the defining characteristic of this team for me. So to the extent that I do remember them, I think the thing I'm going to remember is the absolute no quitness of this team, right? I mean, they didn't always finish the comebacks, but how many comebacks were there right in the third and fourth quarter where they, they just refused to stop competing. And Speaking about the team in terms of culture, in terms of developing good habits and winning habits, I think this can be the sort of contribution that this roster can make to Detroit's culture where, you know, no matter how far you're behind, no matter what your record is, you refuse to stop competing. And, um, you know, that hopefully I won't miss it in the sense that it will continue to exist. But, you know, that will be the thing I think of. Um, when I think about this this uh, season, this this year, that's a good one. Actually, I was going to go something way more basic, but now I feel uh, <laughs> compelled to elevate my game. No, I think you're right in that. You know, we for this podcast, like our our unspoken rule is that like the team is crappy, and you, the audience, doesn't really need us to tell them that the team <laughs> is crappy. They don't. You don't need us to tell you the myriad of ways in which like this team is deservedly only won 18 games. And that's not fun for me or you. So we don't have to do that. Um, and I think the thing, the thing that I will remember is um, the, the joy with which the, the fan base like embraced this team, right? Like you, you talked about, you know, because they played with the, because they played with that fervor, they played with that like never give up, never say die attitude. That's part of it. 
I think this is all the thing I will probably remember is that like this is the year the fans finally got what they wanted, right? They finally got a full teardown and rebuild. They finally got their their 18 win team, but it was an 18 win team that for the most part wasn't an abject failure to watch every night, which I think is is hard to do, right? Like I I have started watching some of these tanking teams just to see like what's up with them and whether or not they're going to put things together towards the end of the season and put the Pistons in a better position. It's like, man, some of these other teams are way, way worse than the Pistons on a night in and night out basis. Um, and yet, you know, the the Pistons have made things much more competitive, um, but still, you know, occupy the same place in the standings. And so for me, that'll that'll be the thing I think I remember is that the the fans finally got what they wanted. They finally got the really bad Pistons team and the really bad Pistons team didn't completely suck to watch most nights. Some nights, but not not most nights. All right. Well, see, now I'm going to pay super special close attention to the sheet, so I'm not (laughs) rushing things. So the last thing we've got is the Pistons thing that is annoying me this week. So we do end on a dour note, but yeah, that's fine. The, The Pistons thing that's annoying me this week is I thought, is the transition offense. Like I thought the transition offense would get better without DeLon Wright and his inability to do things in transition, but the team still can't run a fast break to save their life. The the shots sometimes like still go in, but it never looks as smooth as it does for other NBA teams. It feels it feels a lot more rushed than it does for other NBA teams who it it's a simple matter of execution. And so uh, this is my plea to Dwayne Casey to spend like 10 minutes on proper filling of the lanes in transition and practice one day in the not too distant future. That would just make my viewing experience a lot better. <laughs> ben, what's, what's your uh, thing that's annoying you this week? No, I absolutely hear that Laz. Like you get the sense that Pistons practices must just be running set after set after set in the half court. Right. Cause they and, just, and team defense, right. like, those are the only two things <laughs> they just don't run at all. Yeah. So for me, um, I think I kind of hinted at this last week, but I would really like to get Killian and Jeremy on the same rest schedule to close out the season. I don't feel like I have a sense of what the offense looks like with both of those guys out there together playing starters minutes. And, you know, I'd really like to see that. I think that's an important sort of question to be thinking about as you approach the draft in particular. Right. Um, so the fact that they're sort of staggered most of the time still kind of annoys me. I'd like to see that change. That's a great call out. And even even when they play in the same game, like they did against the Pacers, yes, right? Exactly. their minutes are not always staggered together because it seems like they made the decision to not start Killian. And Jeremy plays a lot of minutes with the starters, obviously. And so, yeah, you probably could stand to align that. Well, and when we think about the start of the season, right? Like Blake Griffin was part of the package, right? So yes, he was. the offense was just fundamentally totally different when Killian was healthy in the first seven. So is this is this a call to start Killian Hayes, Ben? <laughs> hey, I'd take it. I mean, why not, right? Like, I would definitely like to see that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I don't know how Corey Joseph feels about that, but uh, we are we are past the point of uh, of caring as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I would be curious. I I would be curious to see that as well. You you imagine that those two guys just like fit pretty well together, just because again of the 
Killian's ability to create advantages and Jeremy's ability to uh, exploit advantages while also being able to make his own. But he's struggled a little bit more under under the pressure of trying to make all of his advantages. Excuse me, all of his uh, all of his shots all the time, uh, being the only like person who can generate offense on the floor. And so, like, yeah, it would be useful to see how that goes in um, in like real live game action. I'm sure that's something that they focused on in practice, but I'm. Yeah, we. It'd be nice if we got to see it as well, for sure. Okay, scrolling, scrolling. That okay? Yes, <laughs> I think we've that's reached, it. We've reached the end of the episode. Yes, I did it. Uh, my outro is all messed up now, like doubly so because of the scheduling thing. So Ben, <laughs> let the people know where they can find you, where they can find what you're working on, where they can find what you're what you're thinking about and and. Uh, pondering at the end of the season wow. yeah you're gonna you're gonna find some some dad life if you connect with me on twitter built the built a pretty sweet trampoline this weekend if i do say so myself feeling really Ooh. feeling really old but yeah at br Galker on twitter man the playoffs i said this last week too but the playoffs are for me like what march madness is to everybody else i just love the nba playoffs they are my favorite thing about sports and i'm I'm looking forward to them getting here very soon. So let, let's chat there. Are you allowed to use the trampoline? <laughs> um, my lower back does not allow me to use the trampoline. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but it does. It is big enough. It is a full okay. size that will last and can support actually the weight of the entire family all at once at the moment. Okay. Yeah. That, is, that is good. See, I personally would... Just uh, take one look at assembly and also be like, yeah, you know what? You guys can have a trampoline. We're going to we're going to build a play structure of some other sort. <laughs> a slide that daddy can get stuck in. Yeah, there something. you go. <laughs> uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Um, I've been tweeting less just as the season uh, goes along. But, um, you know, we'll have a lot of stuff. We'll have some draft stuff to talk about. We'll have some playoff stuff to talk about. Obviously, I will also be watching the playoffs with uh, rapt attention. Brooklyn is Brooklyn's currently beating Phoenix by 16, which was a surprise to me because when I started this podcast, I think they were tied. And so I will have to rewind the DVR and figure out how that happened. But uh, but yeah, I look forward to, uh, to talking basketball with you guys. Uh, thanks for listening. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you all next week. See you.